Good afternoon, Acadiana. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 965 KPEL. Glad to be with you guys today. So throughout the day on, on KPEL, you've, you've heard about the St. Jude Radiothon. I think it's 11, 12 years ago, I was working at a radio station in Natchitoches. It was KNOC 1450 AM, News Talk there. And the media group that owned that as well as an adult contemporary and a uh, country station and a couple of online stations, uh, the, the media group that owned that wanted to get involved. They, they'd already had one charitable event a year called Radio Mash where they set up a tent in a Walmart parking lot and collect toys for children in need at Christmas time. And so they wanted a, a one for the spring. So they partnered with St. Jude to uh, host a radiothon in Natchitoches. And as part of that, whenever you become a, an affiliate on that, you send a couple of your folks to the St. Jude campus to get a tour around and, and talk about everything uh, and see everything and talk with the folks there and learn about what it is St. Jude does. So I was there for a few days to see what St. Jude was like. And the campus is beautiful. And this was again, 11, 12 years ago, I'm sure it's gotten even bigger and better since then. I have not been in quite a while. And when you, you walk in and you see everything that's offered there, there's this, this sense of wonder that overcomes you. And you really can tell, like, it, it, I know we, we sometimes jokingly say you're doing the Lord's work, but when you walk in, you legitimately get the feeling that the Lord's work is being done there. And in the air, you know, there is that, that, that sense of, of, I don't want to say sadness because it's not quite that, but you understand that what happens there is a very heavy responsibility on the folks there. And, you know, on the, on the morning show this morning, on Acadiana's Morning News, you, you heard the spots. You, you heard, I, I call them the dusty room spots, because you, you listen to those stories and you cannot help but have to, to wipe your eyes a bit. Those stories can impact you, and they really impact you when you're there in person listening to the folks who work with those children and families every day. So I didn't want to come into the show today and... And, and, and ignore, you know, what we're trying to do here. I didn't just want to give it a little mention after the breaks or whatever. I really want you guys to understand that what St. Jude does is one of the most wonderful services that can be provided to any human being. They take a, a horrible condition and they literally breathe new life into children and their families. And the work they do is stellar. And the work they do benefits not just, you know, their work, their, what they do at St. Jude, but all over the place. Their research goes out and helps others. All their research is open to the medical community. Because it's not just treatment. It is the actual research, the study. Everything they do is just incredible. If you want to be involved, 
Becoming a Partner in Hope is simple. You can do so online at stjude.org. You can do so by phone, 1-800-372-4999. Or you can text LIVE to 626262 and click the link that St. Jude will send you to donate on your smartphone. It is incredibly important that everyone who can become a donor because that work is too important. And I really hope that you guys will join me in becoming donors to St. Jude. Now, to go from that subject into the news of the day seems like a rough transition, but I'm going to try. We've got a few minutes, so I want to introduce the breaking news of the day because there's a lot to dig into. Uh, around midday, the, the biggest breaking news in the medical community dropped. Jeff Zucker is resigning as president of CNN. Joy abounds. There is uh, the, the most toxic man in media is leaving CNN. And if you were to look at the social media profiles of anybody who works at CNN, you would see stun and shock as though they could not possibly expect that their fearless leader would ever be caught up in some sort of scandal. Perhaps, if the folks at CNN reported the news, they would be aware that this kind of stuff was coming. Because Jeff Zucker was caught up in the Chris Cuomo scandal directly. So, to, to break it down a bit, Zucker did not, until the investigation into the Chris Cuomo allegations, until, until that investigation happened, Zucker had not disclosed that he was having a relationship with another CNN executive, um, a woman named Allison uh, Gollist. Serves as the chief spokesperson for CNN, for the news brand. Uh, this is her actual bio, at her official CNN biography. Gala serves as the chief spokesperson for the news brand and leads marketing, publicity, and public relations teams in New York, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, and Los Angeles. Her role as CMO gives her the responsibility for brand strategy, marketing efforts for all the brands within CNN Worldwide Portfolio. Gallist oversees CNN's creative marketing, events, on-air promotions, off-channel, and digital marketing efforts as well. Here's the key to her bio. Prior to joining CNN, she served as communications director for New York State Governor Andrew M. Cuomo. Now, several months back, Ari Fleischer, former communications director for George W. Bush on Fox News, noted CNN has a real ethical problem on his hands, he said. She now runs the show. She's the number two to Jeff Zucker at CNN. This was at the time that the Chris Cuomo stuff was starting to really unfold. Again, if you didn't pay attention to anything but what Fox News was reporting throughout the day, you had no idea that this was coming. 
But luckily, most people live outside the highly partisan CNN newsroom and saw that Jeff Zucker was in trouble. 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation when we come back. A bit more as to why Zucker is the most toxic person in media and why I'm glad he's gone. We'll have all that and more coming up in just a moment. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Glad to be with you guys. If you want to join in the conversation, 232-1542. You can also join me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham and on Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. If you want to become a partner in Hope, you can just text LIVE to the number 626262 and click the link from St. Jude to confirm. You'll also receive the new Love Music Stop Cancer t-shirt with your $19 monthly donation. So again, please text LIVE to the number 626262. Join me and everybody here in Becoming Partners in Hope in helping St. Jude provide a wonderful service to families all over the globe. So Jeff Zucker out at CNN. Now, what's what's being reported as of right now? Zucker was already facing termination. This wasn't uh, the, the, I guess you could say that the relationship uh, with Gallus was just kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back or it was just kind of the public, um, the, the public reason that was given. But actually CNN's own Brian Stelter who did a tremendous job all day of running cover for Zucker and saying that he resigned because of a consensual relationship, not the fact that this consensual relationship was extremely problematic and the fact that he covered for Chris Cuomo, who was using his own sources to investigate the women who were making allegations against his brother. Stelter is reporting that uh, Zucker was facing termination if he didn't resign. Uh, and he tried, Zucker apparently tried to talk to the folks in charge into letting him stay through the transition, and they basically told him, no, you're out. Uh, all the Cuomo stuff, the, the plummet in the ratings, all of that, that's all kind of added up, and Zucker was going to be out anyway, and this is just proof. Part of this is the fact that Warner Media and, and Discovery are merging, and so there was going to be a, a restructure anyway. I think, I, I truly think Zucker is probably the most toxic man in media. He was, when he first got to CNN, he was originally praised for bringing more documentary-based content to CNN. You had, um, you, uh, one of them was, uh, they, they had several, um, God, uh, Anthony Bourdain was one of them. I, I enjoyed his show. Uh, but there were several documentary-type shows that he really encouraged and brought over uh, to CNN. When Trump rose to political power in the 2016 election cycle, Zucker's editorial focus at CNN was to give him so much coverage that it roughly equated to millions in free advertising. And then as soon as Trump got the nomination, turn around and just attack him nonstop. When Trump became president, the entire CNN group became hostile to Trump, sometimes deservedly, sometimes not. But you had folks like Chris Cuomo, Don Lemon, Jim Acosta, these partisans, outright partisans, rise to fame because of their criticisms of Trump. They were, they were reveling in the spotlight they got from the resistance types, the folks who hated Trump or the people who just wanted to see a good sideshow. Because let's be clear, that's what a lot of that was, was just a, a good old-fashioned sideshow. 
lot of us just rubbernecking in, in American politics, basically. But in the post-Trump era, the network under Zucker began to bleed viewers. And here's why. Zucker's focus at CNN was to make it more entertainment than news. Well, folks who had the same partisan perspective that the CNN newsroom and Zucker had already had a network in MSNBC, already established. And let's face it, Don Lemon is at best Rachel Maddow light. Zucker, um, I'm sorry, Lemon, Cuomo, Acosta, they were dime store MSNBC. And there are still good people. Yes, they do have a leftward tilt, but there are still good people, people who do believe in actual reporting. As much hate as Jake Tapper gets, and some of it rightfully so, he's still willing to ask tough questions of Democrats. You don't see that from these other types at CNN. Um, you know, a former CNN uh, employee who will remain anonymous actually texted me this a little while ago. Zucker updated the mission of CNN to focus on creating an entertainment brand and not a news brand. He injected more opinion, and that is not what it was founded on. Even Ted Turner, a progressive to the highest degree, didn't want that. Now, where CNN really does its best work is its breaking news and overnight analysis. Its election night coverage is amazing. And ratings do show that people tend to gravitate toward it when it's covering those hard news events. But this opinionated uh, uh, primetime lineup in the post-Trump era was not able to break a million, live, a million viewers at night. For a while, they've been bleeding support. There are some good reporters and there are some great anchors. Even if they do have a noticeable partisan tilt, Tapper, Blitzer, to an extent Cooper, they all can present news. And yes, they do provide opinion and commentary, but not nearly at the level that Lemon, Cuomo, Acosta, and the like do. The problem with CNN is that they, they under Zucker, they could not figure out who they were anymore. They lost their sense of direction. They had no idea who their audience was. Zucker wanted it to be an entertainment brand rather than a news brand. And it didn't work. As a result, CNN lost its way. The viewers didn't know what they were they, they, they didn't know what they were seeing from one minute to the next. Its audience, whatever you might call them, could find the same thing they were looking for at MSNBC. And you know what's really, what's really bothering the media in all this is not just the ratings drop, but there was a, a, some ratings that came out here recently that showed that actually young Democrats are tuning in to Fox News more than CNN and MSNBC. Tucker Carlson has a really big share of young Democrats watching his show. And it's not just because they're looking for somebody to, to hate but they're genuinely curious as to what this guy who is in every media headline is talking about. Is he convincing them? Absolutely not. But they watch him. Because he's speaking at the audience's level. 
Cuomo, Lemon, Acosta are preaching. And that preaching is inherently insulting to the audience. You are talking down to that audience. And they couldn't stand it. And they left. They went to Rachel Maddow, Chris Hayes, and all the folks at MSNBC who could preach a little bit more effectively, at least. Or they started looking at other places. Or they started getting all their news and information from podcasts, which was Brian Stelter's rant over the weekend about how many people are turning away from the traditional newsrooms and looking at podcasts for their information. That's one of the big things about the whole Joe Rogan thing right now. See, the media has tried to get in on the whole podcast thing. By the way, you can subscribe to mine on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and elsewhere. But the media is trying to get in on the podcast game, and they can't draw Joe Rogan's numbers. They struggle at mid-tier podcast numbers. I think Jane Coast in the New York Times probably has the, the best of the left-leaning podcasts from the news media, but a lot of them just aren't that good, and they don't attract audiences. They hate it when other people are better than they are at what they do. That's why they hate Fox News. Progressives have largely given up on talk radio. That's why conservatives are, are still pro so prominent there, and you don't really see progressive radio much anymore. It's because they, uh, they, 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 they realize they don't have a good content to put on radio. Ed Schultz was probably their best one. Ed Schultz, formerly of MSNBC, was probably their best radio host because he could speak plainly to left-leaning, blue-collar Americans. Progressive radio now would just be the same thing that you get at MSNBC. A lot of preaching, a lot of America's terrible, a lot of you're terrible, you're inherently racist, that sort of thing. Zucker took what was happening at MSNBC and said, hey, that's a great entertainment model, let's bring it to CNN, and it didn't work because that's not what the people who watch CNN were looking for. 232-1542, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about John Bell Edwards and that press event yesterday. Have some opinions on it. If you want to join in the conversation, 232-1542, we'll take a break, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965-KPEL. If you want to join in the conversation, 232-1542, if you've missed any part of the show, be sure to check us out in podcast form on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, including the Good Pods app, which I'm, I'm trying. I like to experiment with new social media as they pop up. And Good Pods seems interesting because it kind of mixes the social media, the Facebook, Twitter type stuff with actually like what podcasts you're listening to. So if you like news talk and you don't always get to listen at your regular times, you know that Canadiana's Morning News, Moon Graffon, Offsides, me, we're all, we all have podcasts available. And you can subscribe to them. And I highly recommend you do that if you want to listen to this great local content that we provide you every day. You know, as I've mentioned throughout the show, uh, this is also our St. Jude Radiothon. We are uh, encouraging our community to really become partners in hope with St. Jude. And if you want to do so, just text LIVE to 626262 and click the link from St. Jude to donate. That's LIVE, 626262 become a partner in hope with St. Jude today. So yesterday, John Bill Edwards was a coward. He waited until after my show to have his press conference. 
but it seems like the meeting with the Black Legislative Caucus was actually a long one and not one that really came out very satisfactory for him. Because in an issue like what John Bell Edwards is facing, if you really want to show party solidarity, the Black Legislative Caucus sends some representatives out with you at that press conference. But I'm guessing the meeting with them didn't go very well because he came out alone and he was pretty testy, pretty combative, pretty fiery in what he was saying and in his denials. He went very much, uh, I was speaking with Scott McKay of the Hayride earlier today and he said if you were expecting any sort of contrition, that's just not what he does. You know, that that's not Bill Edwards' style. He is a, he is a born and bred trial lawyer and he was going to go on the attack on this and that's what he did. You know, on the Clay Sheck Snyder thing where Sheck Snyder says that Edwards told him that Green died in a car crash, that Ronald Green died in a car crash and not at the hands of a, of a brutal assault from state police, uh, Edwards denies ever having said that. It's, it's, you know, you can't really disprove that because there's nothing documented on him saying that. Now, if it were in an email or a text, that'd be a whole different thing, and those would be available in public records. But if it's just he said, she said, or he said, he said in this case— you know, you can you can say that and there'd be no problem here. But as I said yesterday, the problem for John Bell Edwards is not, is there something criminal? And that's that I don't know if you noticed it, but he was talking a lot about the cover up and involve and the involvement in the investigation and covering up in the investigation and all that. That's not Edwards' main problem. But he can throw that out there to maintain his innocence. The problem is not some sort of criminal conduct here. The problem is a very big ethical lapse. He knew, and state police got away with it. All you have to do, once those questions start bubbling up, go back and look at your messages from the then commander of, of, the, um, of the state police. And you can see that what's in that text does not match what state police were saying that night. And all these questions start arising about the Ronald Green case, and Edwards should have known. And the fact that he didn't was either ignorance or it was malicious. But he did not do anything publicly about it. You are the governor of the state of Louisiana. Your job, among others, is to represent all of your constituents and to help keep government transparent and honest, and he did not do that. It was a major moral and ethical failing there. And it does not look like the Black Legislative Caucus is, their paying lip service, they're saying, you know, we are the same party, we're on the same side. Vincent Pierre actually said, we do believe he could have handled it much better, especially with communication to the state police. And Pierre did say, uh, that you know we we are working um, they they are still supporting the governor, but the the implication here is is supporting and believing are two different things. And it doesn't quite seem like the black legislative caucus, I'm sorry, the legislative black caucus really agree really thinks that Edwards is totally innocent in this. And as I started mentioning yesterday, that's a problem because redistricting is now happening. And if white Democrats 
do not really take a good look as to what's about to happen. They're going to find that the Legislative Black Caucus and Republicans are going to work together to redraw a ton of districts to be really majority-minority districts in the state legislature. And they're going to see a lot of white Democrats get drawn out of their seats and make way for more minority representation in the state legislature. And Republicans will be just fine with that. Any intra-party fighting on the other side, you always take. You, you, you always take that gift. And I think Edwards and his team knows he's in trouble with black voters and with the Legislative Black Caucus. Because last night, then, he tweeted out, what happened to Mr. Ronald Green should never have happened. And I cannot imagine that Mr. Green, that had Mr. Green been white, that he would have been treated in the way that he, in which he was. I want the people of Louisiana to know I am committed to ensuring what happened never happens again. At the very least, sir, you you looked the other way. The Associated Press has the records. There will be more public records requests. There will be more records that get handed over to the press on this. And we'll see just how innocent it keeps happening. How how innocent he is as this stuff keeps happening, keeps coming out. It's going to be a very, very interesting thing, and it's all happening during this redistricting fight. At the same time, the next political fight that you're going to see in the legislature is this talk over the congressional districts. Do we get a second majority-minority congressional district? I'm not sure that you do. I don't think they have the support. And I know Ian mentioned it on Acadiana's Morning News this morning. There is a possibility that the courts get involved, but I'm not quite sure. Because it's not just about the fact that the state overall is one-third black, but it's where they live. Now, feasibly, what you could do is you could probably come up with a fairly purple district if you look at Mike Johnson or Garrett Graves' districts. That you, you, you have good, uh, good centers of black population there that you could feasibly make those a little more purple. But I don't think that unless you do a lot of weird map drawing, which is the whole gerrymandering thing that Democrats have also been yelling about nationally, with a lot of weird map drawing, that'd be the only way that you could come up with another minority uh, majority minority district let's see uh we've got a caller on the line brent you want to call you want to talk about uh the governor brent go ahead hey joe i listen to you on the offside and enjoy your your perspective on things uh this is a great show also mm-hmm. uh, i have a quick question man i'm just a Cajun little coon-ass fella from Acadia Parish. Why doesn't he take a, uh, a polygraph test if he wants to be transparent and let the people know and uh, let's see the results of that test? Well, the very first argument you'll hear is that polygraphs are considered inadmissible in court. And he's a trial lawyer, and he will throw that out there very quickly, that you know, a polygraph, uh, it would be a great gesture of good faith, but he's going to say, because, he, again, he is a trial lawyer by trade, He's going to say, well, those are inadmissible because they're, they're not accurate, and, and he'll dismiss that outright. Can the Republicans force right. it? I doubt they could, but they could, certainly, they could certainly yell and scream for it. I'm just not sure that they would get it. I'm not sure that particular part of the battle would be worth it. 
I really think that this particular battle, if you want to call it that, is going to be won by the media. And the media in this state has actually been pretty good at digging up these records and finding out what's going on. And I think that's where right. you're going to see. You're going to see another drop from the Associated Press before too long. And the, the reporter who's been over it, Jim Mustian, with the, with the Associated Press, is a very good reporter. I actually went to school with him and, and had interacted with him a few times, but he's a very good reporter, and he's going to continue digging on this. And I think that Edwards is not going to like what comes out. Yeah, that's just frustrating that you can't get to the bottom of it, or when you do, it takes forever. Yeah, and you know they give they put all the spin on it, and it's like, what is the truth, man? I mean, you know, that's all we're asking. Yeah, if absolutely. You did it if you didn't, you didn't, you know. I agree, Britt. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you very much thank for you. calling. We got to go you. ahead and take a break. When we come back, two three two fifteen forty two. If you want to join in the conversation, I do want to mention one other thing. When we come back. It looks like Trump-endorsed candidates are not raising money. Let's talk about that a little bit and why that could be when we come back after this break. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPEL. If you want to join us here at the KPEL family in becoming partners in hope, you can do so by texting LIVE to 626262 to click the link from St. Jude that they send you to donate. You'll receive a new Love Music Stop Cancer t-shirt with your $19 monthly donation. So again... Text LIVE to 626262. I cannot stress enough how much you are literally contributing to the Lord's work if you become a partner in hope and join with St. Jude in fighting childhood cancer today. Donald Trump is a prolific fundraiser for himself. But he's getting involved in numerous races around the country. He is endorsing candidates. He is fighting back against the establishment, but his name is not enough to help these candidates. Now, if their last names were Trump, they would be helpful. I mean, it would be helpful, but he's not able to get a whole lot of money generated for some of these races he's getting involved with. Uh, Trump endorsed candidates struggling to raise more money. This is from uh, Josh Krashauer at National uh, Journal. Former President Trump has been a prolific fundraiser for himself, but in a sign of his diminishing influence within the Republican Party, Trump isn't seeing his endorsements translate into campaign cash for his most high-profile allies on the campaign trail. It's becoming clear that Donald Trump's popularity isn't easily transferable to candidates who aren't named Trump. That was the most consequential finding from the fourth-quarter congressional fundraising reports filed on Monday, covering the final three months of the 2021 calendar year. In the contested Senate primaries pitting a Trump-endorsed candidate against a more establishment contender, not a single one of Trump's picks hit the million-dollar mark this quarter. Several of his highly-touted congressional candidates performed dismally among donors this quarter, with most getting outraised badly against more mainstream alternatives. Now, what's happening here? Trump was deplatformed. He does not have a platform to reach out to people regularly. The only thing he can do is send out press releases and hope that the press covers them. Now, granted, they do because they are addicted to any sort of audience that mentioning the word Trump can get them. But Trump is struggling to keep his influence in the Republican Party alive. As he has withdrawn from the picture, forcibly withdrawn, to be honest, the void has been filled by the more mainstream Republicans. Now, I'm not saying that that's a good or a bad thing. I'm just telling you what the information is right now. My take on it, which I've shared with you guys before, 
is that Trump without a platform is not a Trump that's going to generate a whole lot of major results in elections. Representative Alex Mooney of West Virginia, Freedom Caucus member running against the more moderate Representative David McKinley in a member-member primary, only raised $190,000 in that quarter. Um, Representative Mary Miller, a Trump ally, hasn't yet benefited from her MAGA endorsement, which came right after the end of the filing period. Running against Representative Rodney Davis in a member-member primary in Illinois, she brought in only $165,000 for the quarter. Davis was more prepared, by the way, and he raised just under half a million. Uh, any challengers to Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, um, is, is Susan Collins up for re-election? I don't think. Lisa Murkowski is. Uh, he, his, his chosen candidate against uh, Liz Cheney is not even drawing a whole lot of money from Trump's endorsement. It's clear that Trump is struggling to remain relevant among general donating voters. There's a lot of excitement about him online and, and, and in a lot of activism circles. There are a lot of people who are more focused on Trump the person, though, and not the Republican Party becoming Trump's party. There's a lot of cult of personality involved. And to an extent, you always are kind of kind of find that in politics. But Barack Obama benefited from a cult of personality. Donald Trump benefited from a cult of personality. And as a result, we're just kind of saying, and, and the, the shift away, the pendulum swinging back from that gave us Joe Biden. When you look at the money being raised by the people Trump's endorsing, it's not really a whole lot of firepower against the quote-unquote establishment. The other problem, as I mentioned the other day, yesterday, the day before, something like that, Trump is fighting the pa- he's, he's fighting battles on the past. The Republican Party in general is fighting in the present and for the future. Trump is nursing grievances from 2020. That's why he's getting involved in a lot of these races, the Liz Cheney race, the Brian Kemp race. He's wanting to get involved in Arizona. He's wanting to get involved against Lisa Murkowski. He wants all of these races to be about him versus the establishment, the people that didn't support him, he thinks, didn't support him enough in 2020, didn't help him overturn the election. And all these other Republicans are looking at the current lay of the land and thinking, wow, everybody hates the current political climate and the current economic climate. We should focus on that. Nobody cares about 2020. Everybody is fighting the battle or fighting the next battle, and Trump is still fighting the last battle. And the voters are not, the the general voters, the ones that are doling out money to candidates, they don't care. Trump has not been able to get people to care. And the longer, the further away from 2020 we get, the less and less people will care. And if Trump wants to run in 2024, and I, again, don't think he will, and I think this is more data that kind of reinforces that, as we get closer to 2024, and as that that influence continues to dwindle, Trump's going to be a non-factor. It's going to be very, very interesting to see 
if Trump can try to draw an audience back, try to draw his base back, try to draw donors to his preferred candidates, because as of right now, Trump is not going to win a single one of these races he's getting involved in. And that pretty much kills his chances at running in 2024. But it does open him up to become the guy who gets to name his successor. The other thing, a lot of Republicans in the background are very worried that if Trump does run again and he wins, he's only got one term. He cannot run again. So we have to go through an ugly primary process four years later. And a lot of Republicans don't want that. Thank you guys very much for listening. Don't forget to become a partner in Hope with St. Jude. Just text LIVE to 626262. We will be back tomorrow for more here on The Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 965 KPL.